it's Chris Wendelkin, and this is On The Line, the NBA deep dive pod. I hope you're doing well. If you're new to the show, you can tweet at us at online underscore pod. Find us on Instagram. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Uh, hop into an old deep dive, a draft. All, all the old episodes are up there. Last, if you could rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, I greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, this is the last and final installment of the Sabonis Deep Dive. Uh, if you missed Chapter 2 last week, hit pause on this one. Go back and check out that episode. This one will be here waiting for you whenever you caught up. So here's a confession. When Ben and I set out to make this podcast about Arvita Sabonis on a personal level, I really had no idea what he'd been through. I, I knew some of it, but I honestly just loved his game. That's why I wanted to make this deep dive. But what I've come to understand about the guy Sabonis and his play on the court is that they're actually intertwined with the off-court stuff. You can't separate the politic and the sport. Sabonis' play actually was an ideological expression of freedom. At one point in Marius, Mark Avicius's incredible documentary, The Other Dream Team, Bill Walton says this thing, and he just put it so perfectly that I'm going to quote it here. He says, quote, Can you imagine Sabonis and Marshallonis having to compete for another country at the prime of their lives when they have everything going for them and knowing full well that since 1940, the Russians have occupied and oppressed and destroyed every bit of hope and dream that an entire country, their homeland, had ever even thought about. Sabonis's ability to stand up, to persevere, to literally will his dream into existence, to will his country into existence, is about as deep dive worthy as it gets. This pod has been an absolute joy to make. Here's our last and final installment for now. I hope you've enjoyed it. Let's jump back in. Arvita Sabonis, Chapter 3. So it's, it's, yeah, it's 1989. Okay. Sabonis is heading to Spain instead of America. Um, so the question is why Spain instead of America? Um, because at this point, you know, it's, it's of course still, you know, every basketball player's dream is to play in the NBA. Um, but um, I read in a, in a, uh, so I think there's a couple factors at play, one of which is, uh, the fact that uh, Sabonis just didn't feel like he was physically ready yet um, with all of the injuries. I read in a, uh, in a Sports Illustrated article from 1996, uh, it says, quote, After he helped lead the USSR to a gold medal game in the 1988 Olympics, Soviet coach Alexander Gamelsky suggested that it might be time for Sabonis to test himself in the NBA. Mm. Sabonis took Gamelsky into the locker room, rolled down his socks to reveal the scars and discoloration below his calves, and asked, do you think I can play in the NBA with these? So, yeah, yeah. that's pretty uh, grim. Um, so, instead, he goes to Spain. Um, he signs with a, a Spanish league, or sorry, a, a Spanish Premier League team called uh, Valladolid. Um, and, um, he basically starts just dominating again. Dude, um, the line, I mean, uh, when you, when you see the numbers, it's like, yeah, so yeah. this is, this is prime Olajuwon, this is prime Shaq, this is prime Ewing, you know, 23 and a half points, 10 or 11 rebounds or 13, 14 rebounds, a couple of assists a game, a steal, two or three blocks a game. It's, this oh, is yeah. like... This is bonkers, man. Like this. Yeah, this you, is... you you watch tape of his of his Spanish league games, and he's like 
nasty. Like he's like throwing down dunks. Mm-hmm. He's doing highlight reel passes. Yeah, he's like it's easy twenty and ten, two to three blocks a season. Um, yeah, he's um, he's just thoroughly dominating. One thing um, that I feel like we we as NBA fans that remember Sabonis didn't get to see is like when you see the older footage of him playing in Europe is like he could actually get up. <clears throat> oh yeah. Like, when I think of him with the Blazers, his his game was totally like he was basically stationary, you know, like oh, completely he, earthbound. Yeah, yeah, he had that like little jump hook, the little baby, the little baby sky hook. Obviously, a legendary passer. You know, he could shoot the three ball and stuff. But in his younger days, he could get up off the ground, and he was oh, yeah. he was finishing at the rim. He was spinning along the baseline and doing like reverse dunks. Uh, like yeah, I mean any anything that Olajuwon or like David Robinson did. Um, he was like catching alley oops, um, yeah, completely uh, on that on that level. Um, so in um, in '89, um, now uh, the USSR, which still exists, um, competes in its final EuroBasket, which is again is the FIBA European Championship. Right. Um, and um, USSR, uh, I believe, wins bronze in that. Uh, and Sabonis averages like 16 and a half points a game for the tournament. Um, so, you know, he's still, he's, he's hobbled by these injuries, but he's still, you know, playing at a really high level. And then as we said, he, um, yeah, he, he dominates in the Spanish premier league, um, which is called Liga ACB. Oh, I think sometime around 1990, I believe he like broke a bone in his foot. Um, that's right. I don't even remember exactly, or I wasn't able to find exactly like where or when that happened, but just like add that to the list of injuries. He's now developed, uh, a groin injury as well, like a chronic groin issue. Um, again, he's just, the dude's just like slowly wearing down, um, but still playing at a high level. And then in, uh, in 1990, uh, which we should talk about briefly, um, uh, Lithuania yeah. declares independence. Right. And ABC News brief. Now from Washington, Tom Gerald. Good evening on Mikhail Gorbachev's fifth anniversary as leader of the Soviet Union, the Republic of Lithuania's new parliament elected a non-communist president and formally declared its independence from Moscow. The State Department is urging the Kremlin to respect that vote. In San Diego, Vice President... The culmination of, you know, a, a long um, uh, and, and very, very uh, fierce uh, independence movement in Lithuania, um, which really picked up steam in, like, the mid-'80s and was, in fact, uh, helped in large part, I read, um, by um, Zalgiris uh, defeating Moscow in the uh, Soviet Premier League finals, um, which they did three years in a row. I think we, we touched on yeah. 85 and 86, but they also won in 80. Uh, Zalgiris also won the Premier League in 87, uh, again, against uh, CSA, CSKA Moscow in the final. Um, and at that point, that was just prior to the really serious Achilles injury. So Sabonis was playing... Um, still um, in that in that game, so they three peated as uh, USSR Premier League champions, um, and that like literally like helped contribute to yeah. the national pride, the, the, the independence club, movement. Yeah, the Lithuanian club defeating the 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 Soviet CS, uh, CSK club team, you know, to become three time champions. Like we can't underestimate that like enough. This is a country basically of three million people defeating. Yeah. Another country it's, of 200 million people. I mean, this li- is this is literally the Kansas City Royals defeating the yeah. Yankees, or you know, like it's it is it is the mom and pop shop defeating the massive corporate Goliath. 
Yeah. I mean, Lithuania is about the size of like West Virginia in like square mileage. Right. Um, like its capital Vilnius is like about the size of like, I think like Cincinnati or Pittsburgh. Um, it's just like a little tiny blip compared to, you know, this massive, um, you know, country. And so, so yeah, so 1990, March 11, 1990, Lithuania declares independence. Um, they were the very first, um, of the Soviet, um, socialist republics to, um, to declare independence. Um, and, uh, turns out, um, the, that the Soviet Union did not like that. Um, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, called the act of independence illegal, um, and the USSR immediately responded with, um, you know, really um, uh, damaging uh, economic blockades and sanctions. And then in uh, early 1991, in January of 91, uh, Soviet forces stormed the parliament building and the uh, TV tower in Vilnius, um, which was a, a, an event that... Uh, or, um, a tragedy that that uh, later was called Jan- the January events, um, which uh, were highlighted in in this uh, the other Dream Team doc. Yeah, um, I mean that was which really that, that was one of the probably the hardest things to yeah. You really just have to watch like learning about this whole bit of history was yeah that incident with the TV tower. Basically, yeah, ba- basically Lithuania is 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 you know um, trying to d- demand and assert their independence. Uh, Gorbachev and um, and Moscow are are trying to fight back against them, um, and mind you, this is a time now when like things are starting to like unravel for the Soviet Union, and it sort of seems like okay, um, you know, th- things are changing. A lot of these um, these countries are are trying to uh, claim, you know, it, it sort of seemed like it was all going to be like inevitable. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Um, and yet, um, instead of just allowing it to kind of happen organically and naturally, um, uh, the Soviet Union really fought back, um, to the point that, uh, on January 13th of 1991, um, these tanks roll into Vilnius and, um, there are unarmed, um, Lithuanian civilians that, uh, try to confront, uh, the soldiers and the tanks and 14 people are killed, um, with another 702 injured, um, by uh, by gunfire from the Soviet soldiers and by tanks literally just running people over. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, an, an international event. Um, and um, following the attacks, um, basically instead of Lithuania, like, rolling over and being like, oh, okay, right, you have uh, a massive fucking army, right, um, our mistake, we'll do whatever you want. No, instead... Uh, after seeing uh, 14 of their civilians killed, um, massive, massive crowds uh, started gathering into the um, the square around uh, the basically the the Supreme Council building, which I guess is kind of like the capital um, in uh, in Vilnius. Um, and so by the morning, like over 50,000 people um, are there in the middle of the city, uh, setting up anti tank barricades and and defenses in, inside the surrounding buildings. Um, and uh, and basically saying like, all right, if you really want to like do this, like you're gonna have to kill all of us. Um, and uh, after that, the Soviet military forces retreated. Um, and uh, lo and behold, by um, later in that year, in September of 1991, Lithuania's independence is finally uh, actually recognized by the Soviet Union. 
um, which is just crazy. Um, it's a, it's yeah. Again, you have to just watch the documentary to to kind of get the full like emotional impact of this. But it's like uh, really like it'll like bring you to tears when you when you like watch um, you know what happened here. Um, and uh, it's uh, I would say. Um, worth noting that uh, among that uh, that crowd that I mentioned of fifty thousand people gathering in the center of the city to literally like physically ward off Soviet tanks um, and uh, and trucks and soldiers, uh, among that crowd of people were two uh, men that would go on to play for the nineteen ninety two Lithuanian national Olympic basketball team. Wow. Um, Gintaris Ainikis and Alvidas Pazdrasdis. Um, so yeah, um, when we talk about the 92, um, Lithuanian basketball team in a second, um, just keep in mind that like, those weren't just like celebrity athletes that like were kind of, uh, you know, detached and, and kind of divorced from, uh, the reality of, of Lithuania's fight for independence. Like they were like literally like their fighting uh for it themselves um yeah i i uh i don't know if we're are are we ready to talk about 92 or let's do it yeah well i just yeah i just wanted to say i just feel like it's a natural transition right here just based on what you're talking about like i can't I, i i just can't escape like after watching that doc thinking about like I don't know if nationalism is the word or just patriotism or just pride, what, whatever the word exactly is. But like, mm-hmm. I just kept coming back to this idea that like, these are people in Lithuania who literally had to fight for their homeland. Like they had to fight for a country and having the ability to represent a country in the Olympic games literally meant, everything to them like they yeah. they they literally fought for their independence donnie nelson who became friendly uh obviously through through the warriors with uh sharunas marshallonis uh, would go on to call them refer to them as like you know the children of the independence these are the children mm-hmm. of the independence movement and um they just played with that they actually played on the court with that same sense of like desperation and they played like people and they celebrated like people who were so desperate for freedom. And yeah. like it actually kind of transcends sports or something. Absolutely. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like you're actually seeing people like weep for their own independence in a way that has actually nothing to do with basketball. Like mm-hmm. even just being able to play basketball was such an amazing thing. I guess the the title, the dream team, when applied to the American entry in the 1992 Olympics is best construed as, okay, it's, it's such a dream to have all of these amazingly talented players together on the same team at the same time. Well, that's a dream, but it isn't really as compelling a dream as the dream of freedom, the dream of independence, the dream of being liberated from social and political domination, the dream of being able to chart your own destiny and make your own choice tomorrow, something we take for granted. Yeah, that was a bigger dream. So it's, it's crazy how, how this team comes together because, yeah, like I said, they, you know, Lithuania's independence is only recognized um, in, in September of 91. Um, and the 92 Olympics are happening less than a year 
um, after that. It's you know July and August of '92 is when the um, when the basketball tournament of the Barcelona Olympics happen. Um, so literally, they have less than a year to pull together a basketball team, and you think like, oh well, how hard could that be? Like you just have you know you, you know all the best players, you just like get together in a gym. But it's like so much more complicated than that. You you know you need uniforms, you need um, you know equipment, you need sneakers, you need uh, gyms, spaces to play in, you need transportation, you need like all kinds of stuff that we don't even really think about. Um, but basically. You know, it's not like they just like suddenly had uh, a team um, since they since they suddenly had a country. It was only because of the efforts of um, Serenus Marcellonis, um, who literally uh, kind of single handedly just like took the lead and was like, "No, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna. I don't care if if there's like not enough time. Like, we're gonna have a fucking basketball team, uh, a Lithuanian independent uh, Lithuanian national basketball team uh, for the '92 Olympics." And with the help of Donnie Nelson. Uh, the son of uh, legendary NBA coach Don Nelson, um, uh, who I believe they became friends. So uh, Donnie Nelson um, played some college ball That's and great. like traveled to Lithuania back in like the mid eighties and, yep. and met Marshallonis yep. in eighty five and struck up a friendship with him and basically like, um, helped recruit him to right to and say right. Yeah, and um, and and you know his dad Don was the was the head coach of the Golden State Warriors at the time, um, Donnie and Donnie was like, "Yo, there's this kid uh, in in Lithuania who can really ball, um, and we should really get him over here." Um, and so uh, there's like a whole crazy backstory of how like the Warriors were fighting for Marshallonis with the Hawks, uh, as I mentioned, the you know the Hawks were the other uh, team kind of on the forefront of, of international scouting. Um, I but love interestingly, these, I love these little stories about like how like pre-internet certain teams would have an in and like oh the, yeah <laughs> the in was always like well that's ted turner he just struck right. up a tv deal with so-and-so <laughs> or like that's donnie nelson son of don nelson he's playing internationally and then yeah. now he has these like international scouting secrets it's that literally like with oh his dad if you if you happen to travel over there and you can actually like attend a game in person you might find out about these guys yeah yeah, yeah it's so nuts um but one of my favorite little side stories or side plots, which I, I won't try to get into uh, too too long winded detail here, but um, the re- the main reason that Marshallonis ended up um, in Golden State instead of Atlanta is that um, so Ted Turner was trying to do all of his negotiating for Marshallonis through Moscow because that's how he who all of right. his connections, all of his business dealings were with the Soviet Union in, in Moscow. Uh, whereas Donnie Nelson, on the other other hand, since he wasn't a fucking you know billionaire businessman, was just trying to talk to Marshallunas like personally, Directly, yeah, and was going through um, through uh, Lithuanian, Lithuanian like more local like Lithuanian channels, um, uh, channels. Yeah. Um, and that's why Marshallunas was like, yeah, fuck Moscow, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, you know, I don't I, I'm be not part of the uh, Russian, <laughs> I'm Lithuanian, yeah. um, and he really appreciated the fact that. Um, that that uh, that Donnie Nelson basically like ignored uh, Moscow throughout all of his negotiations, um, and uh, and that's how he kind of won uh, Marshallonis over. Um, so Donnie so, Nelson, Donnie Nelson, and Marshallonis now they're in the Bay Area, right? So now, yeah, during... so they're playing. So Marshallonis comes over in '89 uh, with the Warriors, and then right. So when it comes time to create this Lithuanian national team. Um, they're like, well, we need money. We need some sponsors. Um, you know, we have nothing like we're a very poor country. That's just been totally ravaged by these like economic sanctions. And, you know, we have no idea what the fuck we're doing. Uh, cause we've only existed for the past, like, you know, three months. 
Um, so anyway, Donnie Nelson helps get together some funding. They go uh, on, a, and of course, they go on a, a speaking tour, right? So like basically, yeah. they they start just like doing paid speeches in the off season. Mm-hmm. Donnie Nelson talking about his experience internationally, playing in Lithuania, meeting these guys, the story of the independence, and Lithuania. The Linda, the, the Lithuanian independence movement is now becoming sort of a. Um, something of like a trending political topic, obviously. Yeah, you know, like sort of a, a, a cause celeb. Yeah, yeah, there's know, no among... such thing as social media back then, but this is something that was like on the consciousness of yeah. Americans, right? Americans are like, oh, this is cool, this is good, we support these guys, H. W. These little Bush, guys. H.W. Bush is talking about this. Equal to the dramatic movements toward democracy and market economies that we are witnessing in the republics themselves. The United States strongly supports these efforts. The Baltic peoples of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, and their democratically elected governments have declared their independence and are moving now to control their own national territories and their own destinies. The United States has always supported the independence of the Baltic states and is now prepared immediately to establish diplomatic relations with their governments. Reagan is talking about it. We're all like supporting the idea that like Lithuania should be recognized as its own country. So now Marshallonis yep. and Donnie Nelson are doing these little speaking engagements, paid speeches to raise some money for for the team and a local, I guess a local beat writer, right? Writes mm-hmm. a story in, in the San Francisco Chronicle. Right, writes a story in the San Francisco Chronicle just about basically like what they're talking about and the mm-hmm. struggle and who comes across the article but some members of the Grateful Dead yeah <laughs> uh, of course legendary uh, you know San Bay Area jam band uh, Jerry Garcia and I didn't um, realize they're huge basketball fans yeah they're big hoops heads yeah, oh yeah turns out man turns out the yep, the, yep. The, the jam band uh, the Grateful Dead uh, little known jam band great the Grateful yeah they Dead. love their they love their hoops turns out they're so big yeah hoops heads. So they so they read about the the cause and they say, hey, why don't you guys, why don't you, meaning Donnie and and Sarunish, come to a concert and we'll talk. Um, and they wind up contributing uh, a bunch of money from their uh, Rex Foundation, um, and then they hire um, a New York artist uh, named Greg Spears to design uh, the now uh, iconic tie dye warm ups. Um, that the uh, band or that the team uh, would wear throughout the um, the Olympic tournament uh, in in Barcelona. Um, so if you look up any you know pictures of like the '92 Olympic uh, medal medal ceremony and you see uh, these knuckleheads wearing a bunch of like crazy tie dye uh, warm up suits, um, that's why because yeah. the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Sponsored um, the uh, Lithuanian team in the 1992 yeah. Olympics in Barcelona. Like literally, if it weren't for the Grateful Dead, they wouldn't have any fucking warm-up uh, uniforms and or jerseys. The slogan for the Lithuanian team in 1992 was "Better Dead Than Red." Yes, so fucking perfect. Amazing. So awesome. Perfect. Um, and uh, yeah, so of course that team features uh, Marcellonis, uh, Sabonis, Curtinitis, um, Komichis, the the four you know key guys from the '88 Olympic team, um, and a bunch of other uh, players, um, and uh, yeah, and they just play the the tournament with that with that spirit uh, and 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 vigor, um, and uh, they they do awesome. They're undefeated um, up until. 
the uh, semifinal match um, when, of course, they... I believe they're undefeated. Don't hold me to it. They may have lost, actually, earlier in, like, um, I think they lost the group in stages. A, I think they lost in one of the initial games, right, like one of the round-robin right. games. Right, right, right. Something but anyway, they I get... Just, I just want to say, um, I, I feel like there is kind of a happy marriage there between, like the tie-dye and the spirit of the dead and the way team Lithuania played like Mm -hmm. there is a there is a freedom of spirit that that team Lithuania played with like when you think about the way uh, Arvita Sabonis played like he was this prodigious passer he was such a joy to play with right like throwing passes behind behind his head right wrapping Mm -hmm. passes around Mm -hmm. the back um they they were kind of there was a bit of like the uh, Mike D'Antoni seven seconds or less kind of like sons uh, mm-hmm. to them in the, in that they were just getting up and down the court. Sabonis so would throw these almost like outlet passes like a quarterback, you know what I mean, from mm-hmm. one end of the court to the other, just to to get a quick layup. And I do yeah, and the, like, and the, I do feel like there is a happy marriage between like the Grateful Dead's. Uh, spirit and energy and what was happening with Team Lithuania. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you think about um, the, the the chemistry that the, that these guys ha- played with. Well, that's because that they were uh, literally teammates since like the you know mid '80s, right. early '80s. Like um, on Zalgiris, uh, you know, Komichis, uh, Kurtnaitis, and Sabonis were teammates on that Zalgiris team. I think they were all on the team beginning in like '83 or or four maybe. Um, so they'd all been playing together for years. These guys were like best friends. You know, they were yeah. brothers. They'd been through so much shit together. And now they're playing for the first time under the name and the colors of their own independent country. Like, I can't imagine, like, the feeling and just the, the fucking yeah. joy that that, um, that Something that, must that have they felt. fought for, you know? Like, yeah. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Really incredible yeah. story. And again, like, two of those players uh, who played in the Olympics were in the square, like, f- like physically, war- like, fending off, like, fucking Soviet tanks who were ready to kill them. Yeah. Um, it's just, like, it's so crazy. And it's so, like like corny sports movie like cliche but like fuck it like it's it's yeah. like totally um just like overwhelming um so anyway so Lithuania uh sweeps through the um the the tournament and then um fi- finds themselves matched up against the team that would not exist were it not for Arvidas Sabonis and that of course is the USA men's Olympic team the aka team. the dream team Sabonis then number 11 Marcelonis, number 13. They're the key men to watch out for for Lithuania. And the Americans, well, you pick your favorite. And Chuck Daly means business. Look at that starting five he's got out there. Jordan, Barkley, Robinson, Pippin. And, uh, well, that's a rarity. The Americans winning the opening tap. The USA, who crushes them 127 to 76. But honestly, that score is, like, a lot closer than a lot of the other... um, I mean, the USA was beating teams by, like, 60 points. Yeah, they Um, were so open. I mean, I guess that's still a pretty... That's still a 50-point margin. That's pretty pretty big. To give you guys, like, a sense of how this game went down, at a certain point... Lithuanian players who were sitting on the bench actually just took out their cameras and just started yeah. taking photos of yep. the, the, the Dream Team players. <laughs> Snapping Polaroids like, literally, of Jordan and Barkley. Yeah, they are like, this is the once-in-a-lifeftime a lifetime thing. You know, like, can yeah. you, like get, get a photo of me being dunked on by Michael Jordan kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, so they lose um, in totally uh, admirable fashion to the to the dream team, and then they mm. have one final game, right. uh, the bronze medal game, which of course is played between the two losers of the semifinal games. Um, and in that game, Lithuania uh, finds themselves faced off against the unified team, yep. which is a team consisting of twelve of the fifteen former Soviet republics. Right. Um, so Russia, basically, this is what became with the USSR. Yes. yes. Um, it's basically Russia and like some, some Latvian players. Um, but it's literally like them facing off against yeah. the empire that they just freed themselves from. And then they did lose. Remember when you were asking, did Lithuania lose during the tournament? They actually did lose. And the team they lost to was the unified team in one of that's the early, right. in one of the right, early right. round robin games. It was, to, yep. it was to the unified team. That's who they lost to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that unified team was still, you know, they were still pretty solid. Um, they, they had some good players. I think, um, uh, this guy Volkov, who I think played in the NBA. Um, and in fact, um, let's see, four members of the, uh, of the unified team from 92 were also on the 88 USSR team mm. with Sabonis and everyone. Um, so it's, it's funny cause they were sort of playing against, you know, some of their, their friends, like their old, yeah. um, you know, teammates. country mates yeah. and teammates. Um, but at the same time, clearly the, the, um, symbolism and the significance of the game, you know, it, it was them. Yeah, man, this game uh, was life or death for the Lithu- for the Lithuanians. Um, yeah, S- Sabonis claims that it it was you know really like the the most important game of his life. Um, yep, and in fact, he played like it. Um, uh, he played thirty three minutes in that game. Um, uh, this is the bronze medal game against the unified team. He shot ten for fourteen mm-hmm. and seven of eight from the line to finish with twenty seven points. He also had 16 rebounds, two assists, two steals, and two blocks. Um, Serenus Marcellonis played all 40 minutes of the game because, um, of course, uh, international games are 40 minutes instead of 48 with two 20-minute halves. Marcellonis goes all 40. Um, he shot um, 8 for 13, 13 of 18 from the line to finish with 29 points, eight rebounds, three assists, two steals. Lithuania wins 82 to 78 to take home the bronze medal. Um, and, um, and of course, uh, you know, they, they take the podium um, for the medal ceremony in their, their tie-dye uh, warm-up uniforms, mm. looking just completely yeah. overjoyed. Yeah. Um, there's stuff in the documentary about the, you know, the, the post-game celebration yeah. in the locker room where they're all, you know, drinking champagne and singing the national anthem. Yeah, it's pretty emotional to watch. Donnie Nelson said the bronze medal celebration was basically winning the NBA championship times five. Mm-hmm. That that was the significance of winning the bronze. And I think even yeah, Sabonis talks about it in the uh, in the, in the documentary that we watched. That actually the bronze medal. He was like, "This is this is my heart." The other thing is just the the gold medal. That's a piece of. That's just a piece of metal. That's a piece right. of aluminum. But this is actually my heart. This is like right. the real. I believe the. Piece. Yeah, the exact quote was, uh, "quote There's the gold medal from Seoul, right. but there's heart in this one. Yes. That's just gold, but this is heart." Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, Donnie Nelson was quoted in um, in that Grantland article from 2011. He says about Sabonis uh, in that bronze medal game, "quote He would have died on the court, literally. I've never seen a player play under that type of pressure." Um, 
So yeah, um, they just he just left it all on the court, um, and then famously uh, Sabonis misses the medal ceremony. Oh my God, um, because <laughs> did you did you yeah. not know about this? No, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he's celebrating so yeah, hard. He's there's like a there's like a three day gap between the final game and like the medal ceremony. Um, and he's at a bar. And he just he just goes into the Olympic Village and is just like arm wrestling like fucking weightlifters for like shots and just like <laughs> going completely crazy you know celebrating his ass off um uh there's like a, a little bit of uh, conflicting accounts as to where exactly he he was found um uh some articles say that he was found in one of the women's olympic dormitories uh, uh when the medal ceremony was was hap- was going on although he did claim himself in one of the documentaries that um, he was awake and was watching a TV and realized that the medal ceremony was starting. And so he like rushed to get a cab, but it didn't get there in time. Right. But anyway, um, bottom line is the dude, um, fucking parties, partied his ass off, <laughs> um, which he was completely, uh, justified in doing. In fact, he also, um, he celebrated so hard that I believe he, uh, broke his hand. Uh, cause at one point, uh, oh, during one right. of his... He shows yeah, up one in of his parts. Yeah, yeah. He's when he gave that quote about the you know the, the gold. Um, there's uh, whatever gold from soul, but there's heart in this one. He's wearing a cast on his hand when he gave that famous quote. Yeah, because he had punched a ceiling so hard that he broke his hand. Amazing. <laughs> so yeah, that's our boy. Um, yeah, man. Um, uh, so that was the '92 Olympics, um, and yeah, I mean, really, like that was just kind of like the. You know, you, the the story could end there practically, yeah. um, but of course, uh, Sabonis had a whole second career. Yeah. Um, so he, um, um, you know, he continues in the uh, in the Spanish Premier League um, in '92. Following the Olympics, he transfers from uh, Valladolid to Real Madrid, right. um, which is like the really main, uh, most prestigious club in the um, in the in the Spanish basketball league. Um, and it's there he plays, uh, he plays the next three seasons from 93 to 95. Um, and he just really dominates, uh, you know, by, by, um, then, well, so I guess with, with his previous club Valladolid, they weren't really all that strong. So he wasn't really winning much, but when he joins Real Madrid, um, he starts winning championships. So he wins, um, the 93, um, uh, Liga championship, and is named Finals MVP in '94. They win again. Real Madrid wins its second straight uh, championship in the Spanish league. Sabonis wins his second straight Finals MVP. He also wins regular season MVP in '94. And then in '94 '95, he wins his second consecutive Spanish league regular season MVP. And he also wins uh, your Oscar. That's mm. the fourth uh, your Oscar at this at this point. Let's see. They also Real Madrid also wins FIBA Euro League in '95. Um, he's the Euro League Finals MVP. Um, he also Lithuania plays in um, in EuroBasket uh, in '95. That's the FIBA European Championship. And they win silver in that, losing to uh, Yugoslavia in the final. Um, so he's basically just like you know running off a string of uh, of just championships and awards. And by the end of the ninety four ninety five season, um, he realizes you know yeah. he's his his body is is 
you know, basically as good as it's ever going to get. Um, and he realizes there's really nothing left for him to accomplish in Europe. And he is finally ready for the NBA. Yep. So at this point, we should mention that, you know, he also realizes he has, he's still dealing with like partially, you know, like ruptured tendons. He's still recovering from, you know, the, the ruptured Achilles stuff. He has severely arthritic feet. Uh, he has a foot that's operated on when he's in Spain. Before he comes to Portland, there's an infection with the, with the foot. I mean, it's just mm. one thing after another. So yeah. when he gets to the States... The Blazers, the Blazers doctors apparently looked at his MRIs and his x-rays and they told the GM of the team, Bob Whitsett, they said, you know, basically the, the x-rays alone would get this guy a handicap parking permit. Like his, right, his, right. his foot was so bad, his feet were so bad that it just didn't look like he would be able to run, much less play basketball. And so the doctors called Bob Whitsett, the GM, they're like, we don't think he can play and Witsit was like, "Oh, he's he's gonna be fine. He's he's gonna right. be, he's gonna be totally fine." <laughs> I think I think the what Witsit did was he um, he showed that he gave he sent the doctors the the X rays without telling them um, who they were of because um, he wanted like an uncolored you know yeah. uh, unbiased opinion. Yeah. Um, so without knowing you know who what the X rays were who who they were from, the doctors were like, "Yeah, I don't think this guy can play." Um, and you gave the famous quote about, you know, they, they, this could earn him a handicap parking spot. Right. And, uh, and Wissett was like, uh, no, trust me, he can play. It's Arvidas Sabonis, the reigning MVP of the Spanish league yeah. and, you know, Olympic champion. Um, so, right. So he finally, after all of the back and forth and the, and the fucking cat and mouse game and, um, you know, everything that's, that's happened. He finally comes over, uh, in 1995, 31 year old rookie age 31, um, and plays his very first season in the NBA for the Portland trailblazers. Yeah. He starts out, he's basically, uh, backing up, um, uh, Portland starting center, Chris Dudley, um, uh, you know, legendary New York Nick, uh, Chris Dudley. It's kind of hilarious when you think of it now. Like, he was backing up Chris Dudley. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think wisely, like, in, in a weird way, he was, like, the very first uh, kind of test case yeah. for load management totally, in the NBA. Totally. Um, they were like, the guy, let's temper expectations, let's not put too much on his plate, let's load management, yeah. all that stuff. But it's like, he, he, wow. They limited him Chris to... Dudley. Yeah, they limited limited him to only uh, 24 minutes a game uh, in the regular season, and um, yeah, he was clearly still like laboring uh, quite a bit. Um, there was uh, there was a quote uh, from this Grantland article um, where uh, the Blazers' athletic trainer Jay Jensen um, was quoted as saying, "Many times I would say, Arvidas, how does your foot feel?" And he would say, "It's the same." It hurts. It's always the same. Yeah. What changed from day to day was how much it hurt. It always bothered him. It was just every day. It may be a little bit different. Uh, you would look at his x-rays and you would say, how in the world is he running up and down the floor? Um, so, yeah, when you think, when you talk about like, oh, old, slow, lead-footed Arvidas Sabonis, like, that's why. Um, but this dude was still playing. Um, and then... Uh, if there was any doubt uh, to, you know, how good he still was, he made the all-rookie team. Um, he was in, uh, in in 96. He was the runner-up in the Rookie of the Year voting. Damon Stoudemire, his future teammate, um, won the award. First game, Osaba's elbow pass, and I cut. 
And when I say that ball came by my head so fast, I had to duck. And uh, in, in Saba's fashion, he just kind of threw his hands up and said, Blood, you got to look. got to look. I said, I never played with nobody that could pass like that. Not a big man. He was also runner-up for the Sixth Man of the Year Award yeah. um, in 96. Uh, Tony Kukoc uh, uh, won that. But a lot of people you know, say that he easily could have won both, both those awards. He averaged like 14.5 points and eight rebounds uh, in 24 minutes. Um, but then notably in the 1996 playoffs, yeah. um, uh, the, uh, the, ja- the Blazers lose in round one um, to the Jazz. But um, but Sabonis ups his minutes because um, it's the playoffs. They increases his workload to thirty five minutes a game, and the guy averages twenty three point six points and ten point two rebounds. Yeah, in uh, in in, a, in the five game loss to the Jazz, just a monster. Yeah, yeah. So it's like wow, twenty <laughs> twenty four and ten in a normal you know at that time a normal against NBA against Carl Malone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, against fucking prime in in his prime Carl Malone. Yeah. Uh, and the Utah Jazz defense, the dude is, is putting up, you know, all-star numbers. So in 97, he becomes a full-time starter for the Blazers, um, but he's still getting limited to like 25 minutes a game. Um, he's, uh, he's also still winning um, awards overseas. He's, uh, he wins his second Mr. Europa and his fifth uh, Euroscar in 97. In, uh, in 1997-98, um, he had his best uh statistical season he played and started and the crazy thing one of the craziest things to me about all of this is that so 97 98 he's now like 33 years old yeah um and he plays and starts in 73 games yeah. playing 32 minutes a game um crazy. and averages and averages 16 and 10 with three assists and about a block and a steal yeah um and you're just like this guy should be fucking retired like four years ago. Like what? Like, I it's it's just like mind boggling to me. Um, so then let's see. Moving on to ninety eight, ninety nine season. He's turning thirty four this season. Um, this of course was the lockout shortened year, um, but he still plays in in all fifty games uh, that season since they only played fifty. And uh, this was the year that either this year or the previous year that um, Portland kind of shook up their roster. They added Stoudemire yep. and Rashid Wallace, um, Brian Grant, is Bonzi Wells in the, in the mix at this point. Uh, yeah, Bonzi Wells is there either that season or the next season. I forget. Maybe in a smaller um, role at this point. <clears throat> right. So Portland makes it all the way to the conference finals um, in 99, where they lose to the Spurs, um, who would go on to win, of course, uh, against our Knicks in the 99 finals. Um, And then the 99-2000 season, we should probably talk a little bit about, because that was the the famous famous. uh, seven-game series against the Lakers. The Lakers, Um, yeah. Yeah. so by 2000, Sabonis's minutes and his production are like starting to dip. Um, he plays in 66 games that year, um, and Portland adds uh, veterans uh, Scotty Pippen and Steve Smith, and uh, along with uh, Detlef Schrempf to their roster. Man, one of the um, most fun teams I can remember watching. They were an awesome team. Yeah. Like, they were really, just, really good. Like, honestly, just from a personality perspective, like, I was yeah. always so excited to put on the TV and watch, like, these guys play. Like, they were crazy. They were so deep. When you when you think about, like, they didn't have, like, a single, like, superstar, but they had Damon Stoudemire running the point, um, still totally in his prime, Steve Smith at the two, Scottie Pippen, 
um, who was, you know, still really, really effective. Um, Detlef Schrempf, I think, might have even been coming off the bench at that point. Mm-hmm. They had Brian Grant still, who was awesome. Bonzi Wells, as you mentioned. Rashid Wallace. Um, so I guess, I guess, yeah, Schrempf must have been coming off the bench because Wallace was there. He was like kind of their star player, actually. Um, and um, yeah, going back and I, I watched some some tape of the of the game seven of the Blazers uh, Lakers conference finals. Um, and man, Rashid Wallace was like so good. Like he God. was, yeah, um, he was incredible. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Yeah, um, I mean Greg Anthony, yeah, that team, Stacey Ogman, Brian, yeah, Grant, Greg Anthony and Ogman, Antonio they were so Harvey, deep. Jermaine O'Neal, Scottie Pippen, Detlef Schrempf, yeah. Steve Smith, Damon Stoudemire, Rashid Wallace, Bonzi Wells. Um, these guys, man, they could, and they could play. at center, Arvidas fucking Sabonis, Arvidas like, Sabonis, yeah, 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 who was just like tossing like behind the back passes and like over the head little like flips to like fucking slam dunk, like I know, yeah, he was so so good, um, Dude, still at that point. When you close your eyes and you think about those highlights of him on the Blazers, is there is there one sort of play? Is there one sort of moments? Is there one sort of like iconic move that he had that that comes to your mind? I always think of like the the little behind, the over the head. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, there are a couple of them where he's in the post and, you know, I think it's um, either Steve Stoudemire or Steve Smith cuts baseline yeah. and he literally just flicks the ball directly over his head over the opposing player. You can't even really talk about the way the man passed the ball. You know, I mean, he hits you when you least expect it behind the back, behind the head, um, between people's legs. Savage just knew how to get it there. 96-93. He did the sort of stuff on the basketball court that if you ever tried to pull that on a playground, you, someone mm-hmm. would beat you up because they would be yeah. like, "That's that's unsportsmanlike. Like you can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. Like what you're doing is actually humiliating someone. Like that's not cool." But he would yeah. pull that stuff, man. Like he mm-hmm. would throw behind the head passes. He had the touch pass, man, where he would. He just had the softest hands, you know. Like you could, he had incredible hands. You could lob yeah. him the ball, and he would just redirect the ball like it was a volleyball into the corner, you know, for spotting someone for a three or find someone yeah. deep in the paint. Um, whether it was that, had, whether it was wrapping around the back to hit someone with a bounce pass behind the back, behind the head passes, the you know, yeah. just just all of it, man. He could he could find people. He was a magician with the ball. Yeah, he had big enough hands that he could easily palm the ball. Um, and but like so so soft. Like um, Bob Witsit, uh, the the Portland GM would would tell the story about um, uh, meeting uh, Sabonis in in Spain for dinner. Um, like the kind of the last uh, meeting they had before he came over. Um, and he like shook his hand and it like completely enveloped his hand. Um, and, but then, uh, like later on in dinner, he saw him like, I don't know, like cutting food with like a knife and fork and he was just like operating his utensils, like these little like tiny utensils, like he was like a surgeon. Yeah. Well, Um, he was serving dinner. Do you remember that? They got, they got dinner with a bunch of people and they, you know, it was like a family style meal. And Sabonis just got up and used the, used the utensils and was just like, dishing out all the food but the way he said he did it with one hand using both utensils in one hand was like he was just this like magical like surgeon right right so yeah so oh uh, one quick anecdote that i think again it's uh it's it's useful to uh to relay here um if it hasn't been clear the amount of pain this guy played through um there was a um a story an article in in uh the oregonian i think in 2011 
that recounts uh, the, uh, prior to uh, Game 3 of the 2000 Western Conference semifinals, uh, so the round before they, they faced the Lakers, the Blazers were, were playing the Utah Jazz again, um, and, uh, and Sabonis couldn't move his ankle. It had completely locked into place. Um, and um, for reading from this article, as he hobbled into the trainer's room at Utah's Delta Center, it looked as if the Blazers would have to make a lineup change. The guy couldn't move at all, um, Jay Jensen, the, the Blazers athletic trainer, remembers. And this is right before tip-off. Uh, so Jensen and uh, team doctor Don Roberts uh, start man- manipulating the ankle um, of the 35-year-old center. Uh, quote, all of a sudden there was this clunk from his ankle, Jensen said. Sabonis grunted, moved the ankle, and got up. He said, okay, I'm fine. Roberts recalled, there was a click, and whatever was out of place got back into place, and he went out and played. Sabonis went on to start and lead the Blazers with 22 points and 8 rebounds in a 103-84 win, helping the Blazers go up 3-0 in the series. And it's just like, all right, so that's that's how he, that's that was his, you know. My God. That, <laughs> like, when you think of, like, the... <laughs> The, the fucking like ha- like literal handicap that he had to overcome yeah. um to do what he was doing at age 35 um yeah he again he should not have probably been playing at all but he was just like you know love the game and and wanted to help his team win um so uh so yeah like we said the uh the Blazers took the Lakers to to seven games in the uh 2000 Western Conference Finals and of course had their infamous epic uh meltdown. That's right. Uh up uh 15 points with 10 minutes remaining in the game. Uh they just fucking choked. Um yeah. and rewatching that game, you know, there's that that game has a um a reputation for being uh for having been totally um uh, ruined by like refereeing. Yeah. Um, it's not that honestly. Going back and watching it, it didn't stand out to me as like that egregious. I don't. I don't um, think it was nearly as bad as like the 2002 Lakers uh, Kings. Yeah. That was the that was the the game that I think really. I mean that whole series. On, yeah. On the take, right. <clears throat> right. That was like you know clearly, um, fucking shenanigans. But uh, but yeah, I mean the 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 game seven of two thousand. It was it was definitely like not great. There were a couple you know calls that were a little suspect, but um, but really it was just a huge meltdown. The the uh, Blazers didn't score for like seven straight minutes in the fourth quarter. Um, Rashi Wallace just went totally ice cold. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd been kind of carrying the team, and um, and he was he just started missing missing shots. Um, the Blazers or the Lakers went on like a fifteen zero run to tie it. Um, and then, I mean, and then Robert Horry hit like an incredible shot, right? Yeah, Robert Horry made it, made a, made a couple clutch shots, and then it was the um, that famous uh, Kobe lob to Shaq. Bryant to Shaq, you know, slams it and has, does that like big stupid face right. uh, to celebrate. Unfortunately, the Blazers meltdown. I mean, they would have gone on to win the the title that year. Like that that team was so sick. Um, and if it weren't for that meltdown, um, I feel like they could have easily handled the. Uh, it was the Pacers that the Lakers went on to to yeah. play Destroy. that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so the following year, 2000, 2001, is, um, is his last with the Blazers. And I think this season things kind of go, uh, you know, sour. Um, there's a lot of infighting. Uh, there's a story about Rashi Wallace, like, throwing a towel. It's a bonus right. during a timeout. Um and I think Sabonis had just kind of had it um, with 
you know, with playing through all of his injuries. And so he goes back to uh, Lithuania in 2001 for the 2001 02 season. And I think the initial plan was to play with Algiers, but he ended up just taking the season off to rest and recover from all the, uh, all the injuries that he was dealing with. Um, and then I guess Portland yeah. gives him one last shot. Uh, they comes back throw, for throw one another last tour of duty, throw another contract at him uh, for the 02 03 season and, and comes back at age 38 and uh, plays in 78 games, miraculously, um, in the 2002-03 season. 38 years old. Yeah, 38 years old. By now, he's, uh, he's playing only 15 minutes a game and, uh, you know, really not, not doing that much. And then uh, finally uh, rounds out his career with one final return to Zalgiris uh, in 2003-04 um, and is actually still effective enough to... Um, Win the uh, regular season MVP in the Euro League, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, take his team, uh, his uh, Zalgiris team, to the. I guess they get to like the final four, um, uh, but they lose to Maccab Tel Aviv and uh, some like crazy OT uh, uh, game, um, and um, and finally finally calls it quits yeah. and hangs him up in, in 2004 um, at age 40. Oh, and then he gets inducted into the um, Naismith Hall of Fame in 2011. Of course. Uh, as introduced by Bill Walton. Life was going on, and the phone rings. And it's Arvita Sabonis on the line. And he says, Bill, I would like you to present me into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Oh, my gosh. What do you say? Other than, are you kidding? Yes. Now, when I first heard Bill Walton call Arvidas Sabonis a seven foot three Larry Bird, I remember thinking that all those Grateful Dead shows back in the day must have taken a toll on Bill. But truth be told, Sabonis is a once in a lifetime original. Blessed with unlimited abilities in his youth, Sabonis may well be the greatest player never to have been seen in this in his prime on these shores. Let's hope with tonight's enshrinement, we can set the record straight. And as we're ready to get into position, Sabonis, he turns to me, and he's very serious now. He's a serious guy anyway, but he's totally focused. He just looks right at me, locks in. And he reaches behind him, and I sense a small little tear coming down his cheek. And he pulls out from behind him one of the original Grateful Dead Lithuanian t-shirts. And he handed it to me. And he said, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Welcoming our Vitas to the hall is Bill Walton from the class of 1993. Ladies and gentlemen, our Vitas Sabonis. There is sort of a beautiful symmetry to Bill Walton inducting him into the Basketball Hall of Fame. They're both kind of legendary players for the Portland Trailblazers and, of course, the Grateful Dead connection, right? Yeah, the Grateful Dead connection and and the injury what if connection the w- injury what if connection both like legendary big men right and i do think they are sort of kindred spirits in a way um, yeah absolutely yeah 
I mean, Ben, in conclusion here, any final thoughts you want to share on Sabonis? I mean, personally, just like I'll say watching tape on this guy the last couple of weeks has been absolutely mesmerizing. It was so, you know, fascinating, interesting to learn about his life before he came to the States mm-hmm. um, and played for the Trailblazers. And, you know, this is a guy that should be remembered really in the same breath as like Olajuwon and Ewing and Robinson and Shaq and Mourning and all the great centers from the late 80s and early 90s, even dating back to Moses Malone and like Bill Walton, like he really should be remembered in that same breath. This is a lot of fun, man. I, I really enjoyed diving into uh, diving into the vault here with Sabonis. Any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I'm so glad we like finally got this one off our chest. Um, How do you feel? It feels like it, it, it had to be done. I feel great. I, yeah. I, would, I would love to close with um, a couple of quotes uh, from from. Arvidas himself, uh, or Sabas, is uh, as, yes. as he's affectionately known as. Um, one of the things I really love about this guy, aside from all of his, you know, basketball wizardry uh, and his toughness, um, uh, he he's just like super soft spoken and just very like nonchalant, kind of gentle uh, giant, right? Yeah, totally gentle giant, totally. Um, you know, just doesn't like the spotlight at all. Um, you know, playing in playing in Portland, he was famous for just like kind of showing up and then and then going home. Um, he he like enjoyed fishing a lot. He basically had like closer relationships with like the Blazers medical staff than he did with like most of the the players. Or or you know, he wasn't a guy that uh, you know really like loved the nightlife or anything. I mean, that's not actually totally true. <laughs> He did like the nightlife. He uh, was known to uh, to enjoy a drink or two uh, in his time, um, but um, but yeah, just very like fucking you know low key guy. Um, a couple quotes. Um, he he really didn't like to dwell on on the what if um, question um, from the uh, from the Grantland article. Uh, he's quoted as saying. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, ask about, um, you know, what would have happened if he had come to, to Portland in, in the 80s, if he hadn't been injured, yada, yada. And he says, quote, look, what happened? It happened. I don't know. I know what's real in my life happened. What else? Who knows? If I came in 86 or 92, if I come, we would be talking about other questions. But I came in 95. So we're talking about 95. Um, and then in another article, uh, from the uh, from the LA Times in 1996, um, he it says, "quote uh, He says he never thinks of what might have been if he had arrived earlier. When someone asks, he actually winces. If an old lady had a beard, he says she'd be a man. Um, and yeah, so." Uh, and then one last quote from uh, from a Sports Illustrated article in '96. Uh, after after he uh, they're they're interviewing Vlade Divac, who's just like raving about uh, Sabonis and and you know how he played earlier in his career. Uh, Divac says that he could have been better than Ewing or Olajuwon, and Sabonis smiles slightly when told of this assessment. "Quote: I have thought about it, but I have not worried about it." He says, "I only know that it is better that I am here now than not at all." And, uh, so yeah, I mean that fucking, if I could live my life with that kind of attitude and philosophy, um, when Arvidas Sabonis was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, uh, in 19, in 2011, um, he got up on stage after being introduced by Bill Walton and he gave a speech that lasted exactly 49 seconds. Yeah, it was like, yeah, exactly. Less than a minute. 
Yeah. yeah. Incredible. 49 seconds. Incredible. I timed it. He he thanked his family. He thanked everyone. Everyone else was talking uh, for he, like 15, 20 minutes. He's, he specifically called out the Blazers medical staff to thank them. And then he got off stage. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. This has been absolutely fantastic it was everything i wanted um man we did it we were in the foxhole here for a couple of weeks doing oh boy were we ever (laughs) but i gotta say man it feels good it feels good it feels like it paid off yeah man i think we did this one justice thanks for hopping online bc we will uh catch up with you uh real soon a pleasure as always chris uh until the next draft or the next deep dive um i will see you back on the line all right that is the Arvita Sabonis deep dive. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. My name's Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. Find us on Instagram. Check out previous episodes on our website, OnTheLinePodcast.com. Check out an old deep dive, a draft. It's all up there. Last, if you could rate, review, subscribe to the show and Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Have a great off season. Enjoy the rest of your summer and we'll talk to you next week week.